Dr. Stephen Kessler. You have done this piece. Let me get the title on it here. It is The Democracy of the Unborn, Thomas Paine's Impact on Abortion. And I've quoted Thomas Paine. You know, he was a bit of a firebrand, if you will. He was, um, you know, one of the patriots. And he's had some really great quotes. And so as I was reading your piece here, I'm kind of like, wait a minute. And so several things. You know, we've had uh, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam. He he basically said that regarding abortion, if a baby is born, they're going to keep it comfortable until they decide what to do with it. I'm like, honestly. And then, of course, Governor Cuomo, Cuomo in New York, after they passed this late-term abortion legislation, you know, they uh, they were celebrating that. And I don't know if a lot of people know it, but here in Colorado, we also have late-term abortions here. And... Now we have the movie Unplanned. Have you seen that yet by any chance? I have not. I saw it just recently, and it's powerful. It's about Abby Johnson, who was um, a clinic director for Planned Parenthood. And um, finally, at some point in time, I, I don't want to give the movie away, but she she quit. So there's a big narrative going on in America right now regarding abortion. This piece that you've done... The Democracy of the Unborn, Thomas Paine's Impact on Abortion. Explain it. Sure. So one of the pillars of liberalism is the language of rights. To the liberal, everything is a right. If you pay attention to the rhetoric of Bernie Sanders, we have the right to free health care, the right to free college, and we even have the right to free Wi-Fi. And, you know, if you really pay attention to liberals, everything is a right to them. The source of that is Thomas Paine. Thomas Paine, the Declaration of the Rights of Man, uh, 1790, maybe 1791. That was really the, he really launched that philosophy. While the majority of liberalism comes from Jean Rousseau, Mm -hmm. Paine is really responsible for the language of rights. That's his main contribution. So it's it's really peculiar that the pro-abortionists have this thing called personhood. Personhood is defined as um, the status a fetus receives after a fetus becomes, and I'm using air quotes here, viable, meaning able to survive outside the womb or after birth, not at conception. And that seems kind of peculiar that for some reason these people don't have rights. These unborn babies don't have rights despite the fact that they're people. You know, mm-hmm. we have the right to free health care, you know, criminals, illegal aliens, you know, all kinds of people. Everyone under the sun seems to have rights, and yet for some reason these people, you know, the unborn fetuses don't have rights. And so I made the connection to something Thomas Paine invalidated in the popular, you know, zeitgeist, the popular culture. And that's this notion that the dead, as well as the unborn, are as much a part of civilization as the living. That's called the democracy of the dead, something G.K. Chesterton once said. Um, So here's Paine's quote. I am contending for the rights of the living and against their being willed away and controlled and contracted for by the manuscript assumed authority of the dead and mr burke is contending for the authority of the dead over the rights and freedom of the living and the mr burke he's referencing is obviously none other than the right honorable edmund burke 
So what Payne is saying is he wants to get rid of the notion that the dead are a part of civilization because the dead should have no authority over the lives of the living. Tradition, custom, prescription, things that traditions are, you know, basically being forced on us. Payne wants to get rid of all of that from the past, and he lives in the present. And so Burke, and this was really a reference to a passage Burke said in Reflections on the Revolution in France, and this is... Just Burke at his absolute best. Beautiful, brilliant passage. And here it is. Society is indeed a contract. It is to be looked on with reverence, because it is not a partnership in things subservient only to the gross animal existence of a temporary and perishable nature. It is a partnership in all science, a partnership in all art, a partnership in every virtue and in all perfection. As the ends of such a partnership cannot be obtained in many generations, it becomes a partnership not only between those who are living, but between those who are living, those who are dead, and those who are to be born. Wow. And so that's this notion of the democracy of the dead, the contract eternal of society, and that Burke believes that the dead have rights as well as the unborn. And so the importance of having the unborn in our lives is something Roger Scruton, for those of you that don't know who he is, Roger Scruton is a philosophy professor at Cambridge University, and he is an absolutely brilliant man. He's currently alive, thank God, and he is England's chief intellectual conservative statesman. Everybody should invest in following Roger Scruton on Facebook. How do you spell that? S-C-R-U-T-O-N. Okay. Sir Roger Scruton. And so Roger Scruton, who was a spiritual heir to Burke, who is a spiritual heir to Burke, understood this relationship of the importance of having the dead in our lives, in our minds. Now, just a question, because, you know, when we say, you know, the rights of the dead, I mean, it's kind of initially, I'm like, oh, that sounds kind of morbid to me. But is it also, I mean, can you also say the, the rights of the dead, it, would that also be history? I mean, how, how does that match up? It's history, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's, all, it's this notion that we are dwarves standing on the shoulders of giants oh. and that nothing we have in the present is our own. Everything we have is because of those who have brought us to the present situation. We can only see as far as we can see because of those who have come before us. And I want to read Scruton's quote because he says it better than I did. The dead and the unborn are as much members of society as the living. To dishonor the dead is to reject the relation on which society is built, the relation of obligation between generations. Those who have lost respect for their dead have ceased to be trustees of their inheritance. Inevitably, therefore, they lose the sense of obligation to the unborn, and the web of obligation shrinks to the present tense. Okay, I have a question for you. To be, uh, you know, we were just mentioning in the last segment about Charlottesville and taking down this statue of Robert E. Lee. That's Marxism. Well, okay, and even though you may disagree, you know, the Civil War, Robert E. Lee was, you know, the general for the South. But taking it down, we no longer then have this conversation about the whole context of what was going on. And um, so is that another thing that you're talking about is, like, what's happening in Charlottesville? I know that in Lee Park in Dallas, they've taken down the statue of Robert E. Lee. I mean, is, is that one of the things that you're alluding to, Stephen Kessler? Uh, to a certain extent, it's this notion that these people, because they're not here, 
then they're not here. Because they are not physically present, then they do not exist in the present tense. And so they just, you know, get rid of them, and it becomes me, 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 now, now, now. The notion of living for oneself, the distinguishing characteristics between living for yourself and living for no one at all, vanish in a matter of heartbeats. And it's basically the equivalent of just leaving your trash wherever you feel like for the next person to deal with. So we're seeing a lot of that these days, though, of, of not appreciating history. And then the fact regarding abortion, you know, since 1973 when Roe v. Wade was passed, uh, or not passed, was um, a Supreme Court ruling on that, we have estimates are we have aborted anywhere from 60 million plus little children. Sure. And... You know, certainly there is the outliers there. There's and the outliers are what they bring forward in the abortion uh, conversation, you know, uh, health of the mother or blah, 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 blah. But there's no way that those outliers are 60 million abortions. And when you look at, at this whole Planned Parenthood narrative, plus the racism of Margaret Sanger, the Negro project and the contributions, you know, the whole thrust of the. The Negro Project in Planned Parenthood was to ethnically cleanse our country of the black population. That's why there were so many of these abortion clinics and, you know, um, birth control clinics in urban areas. Well, and, and it's still the case. Oh, yeah, Many, many of Planned Parenthood um, and abortion clinics are in um, predominantly black neighborhoods. And Margaret Sanger's journals, you know, her scholarly journals on the eugenics and abortion, you know, birth control-related issues, were some of the favorite places of Adolf Hitler's scientists to publish. And that this woman not only was a world-class bigot, but she influenced, directly influenced Hitler and the Nazis. I mean, that's who these people are. And that when you divorce the context of racism and ethnic cleansing from abortion it becomes a totally different conversation when we keep this in mind, that that's really what you're doing. You are participating in ethnic cleansing and racism. But I, I just want to, before we go to a commercial, I really just want to tie this back together. Thomas Paine says the dead, they're not a part of civilization anymore, only the living. And what Scruton was saying is that these people, when they're no longer in our minds, we no longer see ourselves as trustees to an inheritance. The idea that we're mm-hmm. dwarves standing on the shoulders of giants. And that means the obligations we have to the unborn are no longer in our minds either. And so that's why this whole notion of personhood for the pro-abortionist, that's how it really all ties together. They say that the unborn don't have rights. And that's because of Thomas Paine. By, not, by denouncing the dead... The web of obligations linking the dead, the living, and the unborn vanishes. That is absolutely fascinating. Oh, my gosh. Okay, let's go to break. Talking with uh, one of my favorite guys, millennial Dr. Stephen Kessler, my guest, Ameridude. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to the Ameritics with Kim Munson, where we are dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left, agree or disagree. Let's have a conversation offering you a conservatarian perspective. And be sure and check out my website, Ameritics.com. Sign up for my emails. And then also check out StandForColorado.com and sign up for the emails there as well so we can keep you apprised of everything. 
Just so jazzed to have uh, Dr. Stephen Kessler, one of my favorite millennials in studio. Before we get back to this whole conversation about Thomas Paine and rights and Edmund Burke, Wall Street Journal, this just came across the wire here. The U.S. economy grew at a 3.2% rate in the first quarter. Stephen, this uh, Democrat Congress that we are, have now is doing everything they can to try to get this economy slowed down because they know that people look at their own personal economic well-being, and if people are doing well, they're going to say, wait a minute, who's the guy that's doing that? Who's the guy, who's the guy in the Oval Office that's doing that? It's President Trump. And do you remember when Obama said that the new normal was like one, one and a half percent? And Trump comes in, and within two and a half years, we're at 3.2 percent. And I, I, I really, I, I believe that if, in fact, uh, he can, you know, get Congress to, to start to put in, you know, Continue to reduce regulations, reduce taxes, and we got to get some spending re- reduced as well. This economy is going to take off, and uh, the Dems don't want that to happen. Yeah, it's actually pretty sad. When Bill Clinton, when George H. Bush lost the election to Bill Clinton, he left him a note in the Oval Office where he said something along the lines of, I still get chills sitting here in this office. And he ended with, he ended it with, we're rooting for you. If you fail, we all fail. And so this notion of rooting for Trump to fail means we're all going to fail. And, you know, Trump, if you really want to understand how Trump has really spurred the economy on, I would really recommend two books by a guy named Brian Dimitrovic, who's been on this show a couple of times. Yeah, good friend of ours. Brian was uh, the visiting scholar at CU Boulder. He's a professor, uh, economic historian at Sam Houston State in Texas. Uh, one is Econoclasts, the Rebels Who Sparked the Supply Side Revolution, and the other is JFK and the Reagan Revolution, The Secret History, History of American Prosperity. And Brian is all about this notion of shrinking the government, getting rid of regulations, and making it easier for the businesses to, to compete in the world, and you'll advance the economy. Well, and we were talking to Jason McBride with Presidential Wealth Management yesterday about Social Security. And if, in fact, you increase the economy, the number of workers, then that is a way that you increase payroll taxes, which helps make Social Security and Medicare financially healthy again. And so it makes a lot of sense. But anyway, let's jump back over here. We're talking about this piece that you did, Steve Kessler, The Democracy of the Unborn, Thomas Paine's Impact on Abortion. And, I I mean, you're really making me think here. And that, first of all, is this published yet? Uh, It's under review. It's under review. Okay. Um, you're talking about Thomas Paine and rights. You know, and I hear Thomas Paine and I think this great patriot, but you say he's really more along the line of Rousseau than Burke. Oh, yeah, no, no, yeah. Paine, Paine definitely influenced the founding fathers, that's for certain. But uh, I would recommend Yuval Levin's book, The Great Debate, and it's about Burke on the right and Paine on the left. He thinks that Paine is the origin of liberalism in the left. I, he's a great guy, brilliant guy, super nice but I disagree with him strongly. I'm a big believer that it's Rousseau way more than Payne. But Payne is definitely a pillar of the left. Okay, so let's explain this whole thing about rights. Why is this, this conversation about rights so dangerous? Sure. So Thomas Payne is the guy that made liberalism have the foundation of rights. So if you define liberalism, it's a devotion to the individual and his or her ever-increasing liberties and freedoms. 
The three pillars of liberalism are equity. You know, they want people and things to be equal and believe people are equals. Autonomy, meaning the freedom to choose. And anything that limits their, uh, you know, restrains their choices is immoral to them. And finally, the language of rights. Thomas Paine's contribution to liberalism. Pay attention to Bernie Sanders. Everything is a right. So the op- so conservatives do believe in rights. You know, we have it's the kind of like I in some ways I kind of you know I, I believe in equity, but I believe in opportunity. You know, we want equal opportunity, not equal results, and we have to accept the fact that if we believe the family unit is the central unit of life, as the conservatives do, we believe that the family is either consciously or subconsciously, unconsciously the you know the basis for all things and when you were when you think about the family the family is inequitable it's hierarchical you know mom and dad up here kid way down here but i'm digressing so the conservatives do in fact believe in rights but we believe in the opposite of a right first and foremost and the opposite of a right do you know duty it's a duty that's right uh-huh. and as russell kirk burke's most devout disciple in america and the godfather of the american conservative movement once said Every right must be married to a correspondent duty, because when rights are divorced from duties, they degrade into vice. We lean on our rights as a crutch, but when there is no correspondent duty, that right denigrates, you know, that crutch denigrates into a rubber one, and it actually gets us into more trouble than had we not leaned on it in the first place. That is so interesting. So, you know, my friend Ben Martin, we had him on to talk about the Federalist Papers, and he says that liberty is freedom with responsibility. That's kind of what I think you're saying. Oh, yeah. So uh, I'm going to read. Maybe I can read. I've actually read this quote on on uh, on this show before, but Burke's in uh, a letter to a member of the National Assembly in 1791. He was dumping on Rousseau. Burke. Burke thought Rousseau was, quote-unquote, the insane Socrates of the National Assembly. So they're contemporaries. This is all going on. They're contemporaries. Yeah, yeah, they're contemporaries. Um, Men are entitled to freedom in proportion to the amount of restraint they are willing to place on their passions and appetites. The less of it there is within, the more of it there must be without. It is ordained in the eternal constitution of things that men of intemperate minds can never be free. Our passions forge our fetters. Okay, there's something that just popped in my mind, and that is the language of the the left is one of of feelings. Feelings, yeah. So basically, this is Rousseau again. Rousseau believed we lived in this state of nature, and that prior to civil society, we lived independently from each other, we lived isolated, and we lived free from the judgments of others. Then all of a sudden, society comes along. Somebody takes private property, and now the division of labor begins. Human beings now need other people, and they have to pretend to be someone they're not. They have to cozy up to people, get them to do stuff, and be their buddies. And that means people live insincerely. They're stunted and forever wearing a mask of insincerity. And Rousseau wanted that insincerity to disappear so he could be free to look inwards, be whoever it is he feels he is on the inside, free of shame and judgments from the opinions of others. Oh, oh, we're just about out of time. We've <laughs> got to have you back. But what you just said here, this freedom of judgment, I remember they used to say that it was Christians, it, the Judeo-Christian worldview that was judging. But I'm finding that, at, and certainly there, there's that component. You get men involved in things and, you know, you can bring that judging in. But 
I, I challenge that in the, the pure, pure sense of the Judeo-Christian worldview. But talk about judging now. Look at the political correct left. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, there's nobody that's going to be pure enough for any of this. Steve Kessler, we're going to have to stop because we're just about out of t- uh, time. What's just a quick final comment? Uh, yeah. Can I give uh, usually like a quote at the end? Yeah. Sure. So, um, excuse me, I'm going to give a quote from the great T.S. Eliot. Okay. What the dead had no speech for when living, they can tell you being dead. The communication of the dead is tongued with fire beyond the language of the living. And I want you to think about the unborn as I made the relationship between the dead and the unborn, how they're a part of society too. And that instead of thinking about the dead, the communications of the dead being tongued with a fire beyond the language of the living, it's the unborn now that are tongued with a fire beyond any language of the living. Okay, and I have a quote from Carl Sandburg. He was an American um, poet, biographer, writer, editor. And he said, A baby is God's opinion that life should go on. Never will a time come when the most marvelous recent invention is as marvelous as a newborn baby. The finest of our precision watches, the most super colossal of our super cargo planes, don't compare with a newborn baby in the number and ingenuity of coils and springs, in the flow and change of chemical solutions, in the timing of devices and interrelated parts that are irreplaceable. That's Carl Sandburg. 